This episode was recorded before the beginning of the 2017 Florida Legislative Session. We will have an update on all of the bills mentioned in a special recap episode that will air the week after the legislative session ends. You can also find updates on the podcast episode page at voteraid.co. That is voteraid.co. Now, let's talk about guns. Before we get started with this issue, I have a very important thing to bring up, and it is this song by the Chainsmokers. It's called Paris. I, I, it has been previously brought to my attention that in popular media it is fun to make fun of the Chainsmokers song Closer for, for many reasons, most of which is that they advocate a financially irresponsible position of buying things you can't afford. But regardless. My, my position is that the Chainsmokers are a dangerous band because they make incredibly poppy music that's very fun to listen to and drive to and an unfortunate. However, in the song Paris, they make this obnoxious music video where uh, if you watch it, it's just it's, it's like you know those old Pokemon episodes that could potentially give you seizures because things are flashing in front of you so quickly. They're, they're flashing the lyrics, but see, that's not even the problem. The problem is when you watch the video and you see the lyrics, it becomes clear that they do not know the difference between let's as a possessive and let's with an apostrophe. They have this song that says, let's show the line that says, let's show them we are better. The first time they show it, they don't have the apostrophe, which is wrong. That is, let us be, show them we are better. But then I have the, the, the English teacher nodding, mm-hmm. so that's good. Uh, but then the next time they show the line, there's an apostrophe. And then the next time, there isn't. So not only do they not know the rule properly, but they are unclear as to how to Google what is the correct <laughs> spelling of let's. And therefore, I mean, there's, I, I understand there's poetic license, but come on. Not, not knowing the song, can I just can I interject on this one a little bit? Yeah, please uh, do. I'm going to say because... The, because <laughs> not I'm just going to yell at the microphone. Because they didn't maintain consistency, I, uh, I want to give them the benefit of the doubt and say that they've done this deliberately. It's it's postmodern art, and the whole intention is to get people like you to pay attention to my uh, these finite details within it, right? Because now you've dedicated an entire rant on a podcast to the to the chain smokers, and what is it? Negative publicity is better than no publicity at you're, all. You're gonna get yourself kicked off this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> my only pushback for this is that. The, the the degradation of the possessive versus contraction thing oh, in, crazy. in writing teacher, yeah. is so bad now <laughs> that I'm not sure anybody else would notice. Plus, nobody watches music videos anymore. So, like, it's maybe this error is just in there for me to drive me singularly crazy, which which is a significant part of my worldview that a lot of things in life are singularly created to drive me crazy. Is the but, song musically any good? That's the problem. It's super fucking catchy. Like, that's, that's the problem. Like, you listen to it and you're like, this is a fun song. The beat is great. And it's the same thing with the song Closer. Like, Closer's a fun song. And you're listening to it. And it's great. And then you, you, you're like, oh, I like this song. I'm jamming. And then you get to the chorus. And you're like, oh, that's right. I can't believe they're saying this. Stop it. And I'm, and I'm willing to let a lot pass in lyrics and songs. But Fiscal Irresponsibility is not one of them. One of my favorite songs of all time 
is Lil Ricky saved that money. That's a good song. That's fiscally responsible. I don't want any of this garbage like buying cars you can't afford. Oh, come oh, on. No, I'm going to interject and say I think he has gone to a lot of trouble to make sure people know his name is Lil Dicky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Lil Dicky. That's why he always does this like pitch pose. <laughs> yeah, and, and you can Google that explanation on your own. Well, without much ado, uh, now that we're done talking about things that don't matter, let's talk about things that do. My name is Juanqui Robina. I am one of the co-founders of Voteraid, and I am here joined by three esteemed panelists. Let's go from my right to my left. We'll start with Nick Jimenez. Uh, I am Nick Jimenez. I'm the senior editor at Cigar Snob Magazine and founder of a fledgling uh, magazine-style content site called Dade, DadeMag.com. Dade, as in the county of Miami-Dade. D-A-D-E. <laughs> Dead, D-E-D. Uh, hi, I'm Adam Shackner. I'm an English teacher and a community organizer, uh, Miami native. Uh, I like to organize them with a group called Emerge Miami. And uh, we try to find cool ways to get people in Miami to connect and help make our city awesome. And my name is Jordan Sanchez, and I'm the owner of Bad Dog Records, an independent uh, record label. All righty. And uh, before we get started on our issue today, which is a sensitive one, guns, uh, you know, just, just requires a little bit of attention, uh, we'll uh, give a shout out to our sponsor, uh, Voteraid, the uh, presenting sponsor of the podcast. Voteraid is your one-stop shop for dedicated information for an election. You go to Voteraid.co, that's .co, forget that superfluous M on the end, and you fill out a quick 12-question survey. And we'll let you know which candidates most line up with your viewpoints. We take questions we give you, we ask candidates the same questions, and we line up your answers. Now, I know that a presidential election just happened. I also know that you're interested about politics because you're listening to this. But uh, you should know that we vote plenty of times before the next presidential election. Not only do we elect a new governor in Florida in 2018, but if you live in Miami or Hialeah, St. Petersburg or Orlando, Miami Beach, or many other municipalities, you're voting for mayor this November, as well as city commission. And you know what? If you live in Coral Gables, your election is right around the corner in early April. Voteraid will be there for you. We'll be matching uh, the candidates in those races to your opinion. So don't go to the ballot box uninformed, and please, for the love of God, don't skip an election. Voteraid.co, your tool for information on candidates and an informed ballot box. Now, speaking of informed ballot boxes, let's talk about one of the most important issues that affects the Florida legislature on an annual basis, it seems, and that is guns. Uh, it seems like every single time we have a session, guns come up. There's a particular issue or law that gets passed or voted down uh, that is of not just Florida interest, but national. Uh, Florida is also home to some of the most famous laws in the country for guns, including the very famous Stand Your Ground law that was used in uh, the Zimmerman trial as a defense. Uh, this issue has received even more attention over the last year and uh, change because uh, there was a catastrophic shooting in Orlando uh, about a year ago in the Pulse nightclub. And also, just a couple of months ago, there was a shooting in the Fort Lauderdale airport. Now. We're going to talk about this from an ideological perspective, but we're going to first hone in on some of these specific bills that are before the legislature. Uh, the first of which is a group of bills that will change where guns are and are not allowed. So let's start there. 
Are there any areas in the state of Florida where guns should be illegal? So uh, I'm I'm gonna go ahead and uh, and say that in, in my view uh, there should not be places where guns where gun ownership is illegal. However, uh, a lot of my view uh, or I guess my, my broader worldview is guided by uh, you know ideas related to property rights, and I do think that private property owners should be allowed uh, to to disallow guns on their own property, um, and I think that. That there should be, you know, legal repercussions for for people who decide to disrespect whatever rules people set on their own property. But uh, I think on public property, uh, you know, if, if there are constitutionally guaranteed rights, public property is the last place where those rights should be violated. So you're saying that that uh, like a restaurant could potentially tell you no firearms allowed uh, because it's privately owned. Correct. But a public school cannot tell you this because it's owned in part by the state. Correct. Well, not in part, it's owned by the state. Right, and a restaurant should be able to have you removed the same way they can have you removed for not wearing shoes. I mean... Okay. It's, right. It's their rules, it's their place. In, in your house, and your property, uh, you know, what I'm doing is, or what I'm allowed to do should be up to you. All right. Do you guys have any pushback on that? Because... Uh, that position, while well, has have has been stated uh, very often in, in in public discourse, it's certainly not agreed on by everybody. Uh, well, I, I would say mostly uh, it's it, more for me. It's more it's less of a matter of where they would be allowed and more of who would be allowed to bring them. Because mm-hmm. if if you have certain places where where it's not prohibited to allow weapons, uh, how how are we going to then? to then control the other side of it which is who is allowed to have that weapon it, it's a little more dangerous to me to allow um uh open carry or 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 being allowed someone to bring a weapon into let's say a classroom at a public school if we're not screening people correctly to to to, to buy these guns it, it, it there there has to be a give or take on one one end or the other if we're able to have more screening processes uh, regarding the purchase and owning of firearms, and I don't think I would have a problem with allowing firearms onto public schools. However, I think we're being a little too lenient in who and who we who we allow to own these these firearms. Interesting, um, but from a, a legal perspective, where do you draw the the line, and and really from where do you draw the authority? Because uh, for advocates that point to the Second Amendment. The Second Amendment doesn't specify who's allowed to get a firearm. In fact, it, it seems to say that everybody's allowed. So where do where would we legally draw the distinction? I would say um, uh, it, I would say that it doesn't guarantee that everybody has. There, there's definitely certain limits to to owning a firearm. For example, even today we have we have limits uh, on who can own what kind of firearms you can own, who can own them. It's really just a matter of of. Um, I, I guess speci- specifically le- the legality of it. I don't know how we would be able to get into it, um, uh, but mental screening, uh, me- mental health screenings at, uh, d- to decide whether you're capable of owning a firearm, training programs. Uh, I'm not saying that you, sh- you should be automatically, uh, if you go into a, a, a gun store and, and you want to buy a gun, I don't think you should be, uh, uh, it, it, the approach should be, this person cannot get a gun until this happens. It should be, let's encourage this person to own a firearm, but let's make sure he passes these certain tests in order for him to, to, to own one. Do you think that that should apply as well to gun conventions? Yes. Yes. So, 
because you're making the point about people should go through all these, I think uh, that sort of, of licensing, for lack of a better word, uh, would be unique to guns. Let's compare it to, say, cars, right? Where in order to get a driver's license, you need to prove a certain competency. Mm-hmm. There isn't, and just for the sake of keeping it inside the scope of, of legality, there isn't a constitutionally guaranteed right to own and drive a car. There is a, con- a blanket right constitutionally, and I know that there are laws that infringe on that right, but those laws, in my view, are intrinsically unconstitutional because the supposedly supreme law of the land says that those rights won't be infringed. The norm is that it, the onus is on the government to prove that it has a reason to deny you right X, Y, or Z. So I'd be interested to know, and, and not to, to, I'd be interested to know what is it about this right, aside from the fact that you just, you know, don't, that it's inconvenient to your view of the, how the world should be. What is it about this legal right uh, that makes it unique in that you should have to jump through hoops and prove to the government that you qualify to exercise a constitutionally guaranteed right? You don't have to go through any kind of licensing to speak freely. You don't need to prove uh, anything to the government for uh, pretty much any other aspect of the Bill of Rights to apply to you. So what's, what makes this unique? I think this is the only aspect of the Constitution that applies to a right that can have direct physical harm on other people. Like, free speech can be obnoxious, right? But we have to endure it. But guns kill. That's, sure. that's one of the things guns are used for. And so even though we have sort of a blanketed uh, amendment describing our, our right to have the gun, uh, what we do with that gun, I think, is something that immediately impacts anybody else who's being protected by the same constitutional rights. And so where's the distinction legally, though? Yeah, because I wish, there, I wish there, I there's nothing in the Constitution that says the whatever's in this document, don't take it as seriously if people can get hurt. Right. There's nothing in there that says anything like that. So legally, all of these infringements are unconstitutional. I, I'm, I'm a little naive on the subject, but uh, in, in this regard, is the regulations, are, sorry, are the regulations uh, on gun ownership and uh, like qualification to buy the guns, is that a state's rights issue? Is it different in each state or is that as well covered at the federal level? There are, uh, there are laws at all levels. Um, the famous uh, D.C. versus Heller case was a city law. Uh, we're talking now about state laws mm-hmm. and uh, there are some federal laws, for example, uh, the much talked about uh, assault rifle ban mm-hmm. or not ban uh, that was a federal law. So the answer is it's it's at all levels. I think in both of these situations, just to kind of to to play the middle ground here, we're looking at uh, a tremendous burden not just on law enforcement but on private individuals, depending on how we treat gun ownership and control, uh, to uh, be predictive and accountable. So. Uh, restaurants are allowed to say no, no shoes, no, no sh- shirts, no service. And at the Wish same time, will that now say no shoes, no shirts, but guns and service? Or, you know, are they going to have to offer up the disclaimer with the expectation that you cannot come in with a concealed weapon or weapon of any sort at, at their private establishments? Well, I mean, lots of people already do that. There are lots of places that have signs up on the door that say you can't have a gun in there. Mm-hmm. Target famously had, uh, Target famously did it, uh, I think it was a year ago. They famously said, you know, if you're going to come with a firearm, please leave it in the car. Were people taking the name Target too literally? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know about their, uh, their persuasions that way. I do know that Target has a a tendency among other brands to, uh, advocate for social positions Mm -hmm. one way or another. So I do remember this because I remember my Facebook feed being clogged with, uh, talks about either supporting Target's ban or... Uh, boycotting Target because of it, so take mm-hmm. that for whatever it's worth. <laughs> yeah. Which they're totally within their right to do, right? I mean, right. I, I don't think that there's anything 
that there's anything wrong with somebody setting rules for what happens again on their own property. Um, uh, I, I just think that the 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 argument of well these are special circumstances you know especially if if again we're talking about you know what ought to be legal and, and illegal um, an argument that calls for government to to create all of these solutions ought to also take government seriously enough to recognize that that same government system would require strictly speaking that you impose that solution at the constitutional level. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't seem to me like anybody who, uh, like, like anybody is serious enough or committed enough to all of that to actually just come out and say, I want to abolish the Second Amendment, or I want to actually add to the Bill of Rights to restrict people's right. rights. Nobody wants to take it that far, uh, nor do I think it's a particularly popular position. It, it, it seems like these changes only happen at those levels where you know, it's it's like can fly conveniently enough below the radar that nobody really even finds out that you're restricting their rights until they decide to go out and buy a gun. Mm -hmm. Well, let's look a little bit at, at those uh, restrictions that the government does place or choose not to place. So some of the, the areas where the state uh, government could potentially lift a ban on concealed weapons include, and these are uh, just different bills, we have uh, weapons inside of a an airport passenger terminal, a uh, weapons are would be allowed at legislative meetings, other government meetings, in career centers, public colleges and university campuses, and in courthouses. Though they, when uh, you enter a courthouse, they would be temporarily, um, temporarily, Checked. turned over to to security. So all of those are places where they are currently banned. Uh, and the, these bills would individually allow them or make them legal in there. So I guess my question here would be, uh, should there be any difference between these different environments or should they all be treated the same? Because, I mean, the way the law works right now, there are certain places where you cannot take a firearm. Uh, so there, legally, certain places are treated differently than others. Should we continue that kind of philosophy? And if so, where do we, back to that eternal question, where do we draw the line? Mm -hmm. Do you want to pick people out or <laughs> start with Jordan? Um, so um, I think that I think that these places were not were are designated to not be allowed to bring in firearms for a reason. There's 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 a safety issue at, at, at hand. The career uh, centers one seems weird. To me. I, will, <laughs> I will say the others I can understand because they're all public places. Right. The career center one, I would, I would welcome somebody like maybe someone who why a career center. maybe someone who gets depressed at, at, at a job and, and starts starts to go postal on someone who gave them the who gave them the position in the first place. That's the only thing I can think. Of. All I can think of about the career center one is there was an NCIS episode where there was a sniper taking out uh, military career people. Oh. But I mean, oh, this, that's really specific. Yeah, it's <laughs> the only thing I can think of for career centers. Otherwise, like. I, but anyway, yeah. So. Yeah, I, I mean, I think, for example, at a courthouse or something, that seems like a very likely place for someone who is disgruntled with an attorney or with a judge to go in there and st and and start uh, uh, start shooting people. Um, I think if we're going to allow, like I said before, if we're going to allow places to uh, to welcome these firearms, uh, if the, if it's to stop, if we're saying you're you're allowed to bring a firearm here to protect yourself from a potentially crazy person that has a firearm. We should also, on the other hand, start saying, st start being a little more restrictive on who can own a, a firearm. Mm -hmm. it, 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 it's, 
if we're going to stop one thing from happening by allowing firearms at one place, why wouldn't we do it on the other side on let's prevent from that crazy person from bringing a firearm in the first place? I, I don't see, uh, you know, I see both, both, uh, both things as a way to, uh, to, uh, to hedge <clears throat> the possibility of something disastrous happening. Hmm. That's interesting. Anybody have some, um, feedback on that? Uh, I'm, I'm going to cop out in a really obnoxious way and, and just frame it in this light. I think that, uh, there is no blanketed solution to who should have guns or where those guns should be because if nothing else, it's, oh, consistently excellent political capital to have these arguments <laughs> so organizations that want to advocate one way or the other are always going to be able to turn to these details to try and push whatever agenda is a larger issue for them um unless we you know disgruntle a large portion of society by outright banning them or uh further mire ourselves <laughs> in bureaucracy by trying to create regulations on every nuance regarding guns you're going to have groups that are going to capitalize on this uh in terms of those restrictions, I do. I was just kind of wondering this, uh, not just in terms of like locations as in schools or businesses or private properties, uh, should there be differences in policy between urban areas and rural areas and gun ownership? That's a good question. I mean, it's, it's tough at the state level, of course, but that would, I mean, I feel like it would probably have to be a city thing. Sure. And then, and then I think you, yeah, I, mean, I, I guess you could just, that could maybe be affected by those various local governments but i think you go down a slippery slope if you start having people in tallahassee determine what's rural and what's yeah. urban uh and then like are you allowed to have uh you know something in between if you live in a suburb uh it's true but um to to the point about uh you know where you should and shouldn't be you know or i guess the specific list um Oh, and there's more here. There's uh, movie theaters, right? Currently legal. There's a, a bill to potentially make them illegal, though. Right. Realistically, that's not going to pass. We did have a situation here in Florida a couple of years ago where an individual—I don't, I don't know if you remember the story—but um, it was a, a retired officer, I believe, who had a concealed carry license, and he got in an altercation with another person in the movie theater right. who was texting, and wound up shooting him to death in the, right. in, the, in the altercation. Yeah. So I can see why they might want to here in Florida at least add movie theaters to it, just because of that. Well, that's an interesting one, though, because, you know, Jordan's talking a lot about who should have a firearm. And I mean, mm -hmm. if, if we're talking about uh, a, a former police officer, then I mean, they're kind of like front of the line yeah. to potentially have a firearm. And then this guy just, you know, shot a guy who was texting. I wonder if jobs that are conducive to trauma would somehow wind up on that. Well, list. I may be getting ahead of myself, but I know that one of the other bills that uh, that was on the list that we've been looking at was about expediting the process for uh, for cops. So, you know, if, if yeah. we're going to... That's... Uh... If you're if you're looking for the 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 bill information, it's SB nine twelve, uh, that's in the Senate, and HB six seven three in the House. That is uh, an exempt adding a constitutional exemption to law enforcement officers from the mandatory three day waiting period. Right. So I mean, if we're gonna if we're gonna talk about you know, let's not allow uh, guns in movie theaters because one person got shot, then you know if we're basing policy on you know individual incidents like that then it follows that we should also maybe make the waiting period longer for cops and then we start going into this like silly thing where like you know were they what kind of movie were they watching like if christian bale's in the movie can you not bring in the gun so uh, is I there think, is there a shark uh right. a number of sharks falling from the sky to uh, amount of guns allowed in the right. theater ratio <laughs> who knows what's being triggered by the sharknadoes <laughs> um 
So, yeah. I mean, Excellence it, in movie taste. That's right. what's being triggered. Right. Excellence <laughs> in movie taste. Yeah, my, my personal view is that is that legally, guns ought to be allowed uh, in in all of these places. However, uh, you know, I, I think from uh, we are talking about all of this in the context of what's coming before the Florida legislature. And I, I think it makes a lot of sense to parse it out that way, because some of these are, are obviously more controversial uh, than others. And whereas some other items on that list or some other categories of place on that list are, are areas where you might be able to come closer to finding consensus one way or the other. Um, I, I think as far as, uh, you know, the issue of uh, ensuring that crazy people uh, don't have guns, uh, for one, there already are background checks. Uh, for another, I don't quite trust government more than I trust uh, private actors to ensure that crazy people don't end up with guns because crazy because private actors are allowed to, or at least ought to be, to not sell you a gun just because they don't like the look of your face. Mm. In fact, I, I, I'm, I may be mixing up my shootings here, but I think it was in the case of the pulse shooting uh, that the, uh, the, the shooter had gone into a store, I think was asking about body armor and whatever, uh, and was not only not served, but was reported to the feds. Mm-hmm. And of course, the FBI apparently doesn't move quickly enough on crazy people to stop things like the pulse shooting. Uh, so, uh, while I don't know what the solutions would end up looking like, um, if, you know, if I'm, if I'm rolling the dice, I would roll the dice on the private sector finding better solutions for keeping guns out of the hands of crazy people. Uh, the other thing is, again, we do have some of these safeguards in place. It's not like there's a total free-for-all for guns. I want to say that in the state of Florida, uh, and I forget what year these statistics are from, uh, something like less than 2% of gun homicides were committed by people who weren't uh, the licensed owners of the guns. Uh, so by and large, you know, the, the, what's, what's happening is, um, yeah. So by and large, you know, the government is, is doing a pretty bad job, uh, of, of all of that, uh, and, and ultimately disarming, you know, people who would otherwise perhaps be able to, to defend themselves. Last point uh, on this thing. I, I think we're sort of overblowing the significance of, of a lot of this, uh, you know, uh, gun homicide has been, on the decline pretty consistently for for a long while uh and it seems like crazy people uh are more interested in killing themselves than they are in killing anybody else uh gun suicide i think far far overshadows the numbers of, of gun homicide mm-hmm. uh and i i don't know enough but my guess is uh that uh you know while guns may be uh, a convenient way to, to kill yourself, if you're interested in preserving life, it's probably worth recognizing that there are all kinds of other ways to do that, and I'm not sure that uh, restrictions on gun ownership would, would solve a whole lot of that. Um, I've got a bunch of statistics here I can throw out there. Are we, do, are we doing numbers? This is not to push a point. Yes, no, though, to... though I think uh, those statistics will probably be germane to, to the next point, which is a little bit bigger picture, right? So we've been talking a lot about kind of the the concealed weapons right and where they should be allowed and where not from the perspective of the person who is not armed wouldn't it be safer to have open carry so that if somebody was had a firearm everybody else knew they had a firearm as opposed to concealed carry where you don't know now some states have this there is a bill before the florida legislature to legalize open carry Chances are it probably won't pass, but it, you never know. Florida is a, a, a very uh, pro-gun legalization mm-hmm. state. So 
What is that? Is it is it theoretically safer for everybody else involved if you know who has firearms going in? I'm I'm not convinced of that, and this is me as like the the gun nut in the room. <laughs> uh, I'm not convinced that it's a good idea to open carry. Uh, however, I again I do think people should have the right to do it. And I think that the more important reason to allow for open carry is that there are already situations where open carry is allowed. Mm-hmm. Uh, namely, I think in Florida, if, in Florida, right? If you're if you're hunting, if you're hiking, in other words, situations where you should be, you know, where they don't, where you, you don't want to be overburdened by the comfort issue. So, like, if you're in a situation where you yeah, that's a rural urban issue, right there. Yeah, yeah, right. So, if you're in a situation where you're, you're more concerned, yeah, if you're in a situation where you're concerned with like gators or like coming across a panther or something, <laughs> then you're allowed to open well, carry. Well, not panthers because they're protected. Sure, right. Well, well until they come. <laughs> And maul you, right? I don't, I don't know what the I don't know what the law is on killing a panther. That's trying to kill you, you, you know what? I'm is gonna, there a stand your ground issue? With <laughs> you know what? I'm gonna do a shout out here to a podcast that doesn't know we exist. Uh, uh, Planet Money did a fantastic episode on bald eagles and about this guy who had an organic farm. It's yeah. fantastic episode. Uh, so uh, to your point about the panthers, I'm not sure you'd be allowed to defend yourself there against you the panther. It's unclear. Uh, there you go. But I, I think that the more important reason to allow for open carry is uh, is that. As it stands, uh, people who are carrying concealed, uh, there's this sort of like dubious gray area where like if if you bend over to pick something off off the ground and a cop happens to catch a little bit of glimmer off of your gun, have you suddenly like displayed, quote unquote, your weapon? Mm -hmm. Um, And I know there's another bill in there somewhere about uh, offering some kind of protection for like like redefining display or something. So that's up to the officer's discretion as to whether or not. In other words, like whether you've actually effectively concealed your weapon. Wow. Um, another thing is like if I'm getting in my car and I'm going into a bar, right? Uh, sorry, of... sorry to interrupt. The sure. bill the bill you're talking about is SB six forty six or HB seven seven nine. Uh, would protect concealed weapons permits holders from arrest or criminal charges if they temporarily and openly display their firearm. Right. So that would address things like, for example, I'm in my car and I'm going into a bar um, and I've gotten out of my car and walked around to leave my gun in the trunk. If a cop happens to be turning the corner as I've got my gun in my hand between my pants and my trunk, now I'm in some kind of a problem, even though what I'm You're doing is complying with the law for, to, buy, to not carry a gun on me while I go into a, an establishment that serves liquor. So there's all this like really convoluted, uh, you know, danger area, which if anything, you know, I, I think that allowing for uh, for open carry would address, uh, you know, the concerns of people who don't want people carrying in bars, because there may be times, you know, and, and I'm not gonna lie, this has happened with me where I've decided like this is kind of a sketchy neighborhood, I I'm not gonna drink. But I'd rather walk into this bar with a gun on me than risk the wrong person seeing me with a gun in my hand while I try to put it in my car. Um, so, even if you don't want guns in certain places, you want the gun owner to have enough flexibility to handle the gun in such a way that he's complying with the law. Or she. This is, I think, one of those tricky areas, and this is going to be purely ideological because I don't, I don't know that I can even offer a legal stance on this. Um, the fact that we're questioning how we need to set the terms for... Uh, carrying and displaying one's firearms suggests that there's already some degree of trepidation and concern regarding the presence of firearms in people who are pushing their legislators to try and create bills and amendments about it. Uh, Therefore, having guns readily available and observable, I think, is just as conducive to that trepidation, if that makes sense. I think the presence of a gun is, for a lot of people, very intimidating, and that could escalate a situation far more quickly than not knowing the gun was there. 
But that being said, as as a private citizen, I'd much rather know who's strapped than who isn't. Right, and and, and so I, where do you where do you draw that line? I, I don't it's, even know that I have a line to draw. It's clearly yeah. it's clearly a safety question from yeah. the perspective of those who are not armed. And there's but, an awareness that we need to address it as a safety yeah. issue, otherwise we wouldn't have house bills. Sure, but the, I guess the question is, and I don't know if there's any way to do this legally because it might differ person to person, but how do you which situation makes the average person feel safer? I know, are you going to do polling on this? or I think that that's something that gun owners... I mean, yeah. gun owners don't exist in a vacuum, right? They're part of communities that are uh, that where they know what the feeling is on, on guns in this or that situation. Uh, Florida wouldn't be the first place to yeah. allow for open carry. No, and, most certainly not. Yeah, and, and I think in places where open carry is allowed, you just don't see a lot of people open carrying in places where it's making people nervous, unless they're doing it deliberately as a protest, which I right. think people ought to be able to do. But at that point... If anything, I'm less worried when I see a bunch of open carriers, like, you know, marching down the street with their ARs, like, you know, oh, here I am with my gun. Like, I, I know what they're there for. If it's the lone dude, you know, then maybe I'm, like, a little skittish. Uh, but gun owners, by and large, uh, understand that, uh, you know, that there are situations where you don't want to just be displaying a firearm. Um, and, and I also think that gun owners are, you know, not out looking for a fight. If they were out looking for a fight, the gun would be in their hand. They wouldn't be outside of their pants. Well, I think to, to Jordan's earlier points, like this is, I think a lot of the legislation that we have to consider is is based not on on the majority, but on the exception, mm-hmm. right? On on the the person who is on the fringe, because you know, like it or not, someone who has a a certain type of firearm can if they are so inclined, cause significant more force than the average person and significant more damage, for lack of a better way of putting it. Um, whereas if they did not have the firearm, for whatever reason, mm-hmm. maybe they didn't have access to it or for legal purposes or because they were rejected at the gun shop, then you know maybe they could kill a couple of people, not kill 10 or 20. Sure. Mm-hmm. And also the intention of individual users can definitely... You know, I think it's good to, to say that there's a majority of gun owners out there who are responsible, expect responsibility, and demonstrate proper conduct regarding it. Uh, but at the same time, uh, you know, weird metaphor, but we live in Miami where there are a lot of licensed drivers who know the responsibilities of the road who use their cars as weapons, right? Maybe intentionally, maybe not intentionally, but... I would say definitely unintentionally. <laughs> they, just they just don't freaking know any better. Be, be surprised sometimes. Uh, so, driverless cars can get So I don't know the degree to which I trust majorities when they have anything that can cause harm to a number of other people on uh, on hand, no matter how responsible they say they are. I will say, though, that, and I understand that there are no perfect analogies, but there there's a, a difference with cars and guns in that uh, a gun you only are ever manipulating for the purpose of hurting somebody... Uh, whether in defense or not, whereas a car you're manipulating and then if you like screw up, you know now you're endangering people. So, um, so there is that distinction to be sure, made. Sure, I'm being a little hyperbolic. I, 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 I would, but I, I, I agree with you that I would hate for Miami's population to all have a gun in their hands. Yeah. That's. <laughs> I think I think we can and, all. And yet they have the right. I, the, I think we can all agree. No, I mean literally that. their hands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think we can all agree that the last thing we want is Miami drivers to have guns while they drive. Right. Then that would just be... <laughs> phones are bad enough. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. So uh, let's, let's touch on one more thing for, for guns, in the, even though this is a very large issue that we could do the entire season on. Uh, and I'll start with you, Jordan. Stand your ground laws. Now, the, the basics of it is that uh, under the, the law, 
uh, a person has the right to self-defense, for lack of a better way of putting it, right? You have the right to stand the ground that you currently have uh, if you are so attacked. Now, uh, there is a bill before the legislature that, and the, the exact bill is, this, me looking for this makes great audio, uh, SB 128. HB 245, reminder for those at home, the ones that start with S are for the Florida Senate, the ones that start with H are for the Florida House. Uh, this bill would shift the burden of proof in a criminal case. Uh, right now, the defendant, ha if they claim stand your ground, has to prove that it was viable. Uh, this would shift the burden to the prosecution, and the prosecution would then have to prove that stand your ground was not viable. Let's, let's, uh, you could take it either way perspective. A, is that uh, a good change for either legal purposes or, or gun purposes or whatever? And B, do stand your ground laws make people safer? <clears throat> the second question you asked, uh, I think, is, is, is more complicated. I don't know if I have a, a, an answer, a yes or no answer to that. Um, as far as the bill is concerned, uh, shifting the burden of proof, I think, could be problematic because uh, from my understanding the bill uh, the bill states that it's before a trial right that the uh, that the prosecution would have to establish beyond reasonable doubt uh, before trial that uh, that stand your ground is not viable am I right about that it says here um, requires yeah, the prosecutor not the defendant to prove at a pretrial hearing why the defendant shouldn't be granted immunity from prosecution in the amended Senate version and this stuff can change from day to day right. but uh, so by the time you're listening to this, it may have changed. But in the amended Senate version, if the self-defense claim is unsuccessful, evidence presented at the pretrial hearing would be inadmissible. Um, I guess my, my question here would be, and this is an area where I'm not sure, if a, and, and I, I am not uh, comparing uh, the two defenses, only their legal position, if a defendant claims a mental defect and seeks to have, uh, to be not guilty through that means, who is it that has the burden of proof? Is it the, the defense or is it the prosecution? Because it would seem to me as a layperson that the prosecution is supposed to have the burden of proof all the time. I don't know. Well, uh, yeah, I, I would say ne not necessarily all the time. If you're, if you're trying to uh, argue a defense, you should, ha you should have a pretty, uh, a pretty bulletproof uh, argument re uh, regarding that. Uh, the only reason why I see it, I mean, it may sound like an inconvenience for the prosecution, the way I'm stating it, but for the prosecution to to go through a trial prior to the trial uh, seems a little bit overburdening, overburdening for them. Uh, okay. They have to use the same the the, the same uh, burden of proof, which is beyond the reasonable doubt, to prove that that defense is not a viable defense. Then uh, what's the point of going to trial and then proving beyond the reasonable doubt that there was a murder that happened? Or, or that it was not in self-defense. Okay. I would just point out quickly that, Jordan, you do have some amount of background in law. Just because yeah. we only introduced you right. as owner of Bad Dog Records. <laughs> <laughs> owner of Bad Dog Records and also right. uh, uh, law school student. So. Right. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I, I, and I guess it's not, not to sound like it's, it's more of like, an, like making a prosecutor's job harder than what it already is. But I think that there that the way we go through defenses in in, in, in a procedural way, it, it, it's it's a step by step process, and it should be kind of uniform throughout. I guess, yeah, in a shooting, it's a very unique situation. Um, well, let's but, be honest. Legally, a shooting is not that unique. It happens yeah, quite that's a bit. That's true. That's true. You're right. Actually, um, 
but also having a stand your ground law is somewhat unique. Sure. So I think to to have a, a, a stand your ground defense be easier to prevail is 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 going to be problematic for a prosec- a prosecutor and for a, a victim. Uh, uh, you know, uh, you could now it's easier for someone to claim stand your ground seems a little bit um, seems a little bit overburdening on the system. Okay. Adam, what do you think about, because uh, I don't want to bore the listeners with too much ladies, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, as much as I think it's interesting. Um, uh, Adam, what do you think about the overall perspective of standard ground? Is, is this something yeah. that improves public safety, or is it more of a burden? Well, I guess in, in regards to the, uh, the proposed bill, um, and I won't get legalese on it, it sounds yeah. like, uh, if I understand correctly, and I'm certain I don't, uh, the intention is to try and stop, uh, prevent flippant use of standard ground. Uh, I would say the opposite, actually. I would say that... Make it more accessible? The bill makes it more accessible. So along those I don't lines, know about flipping or not. That's that's for the court case. Right, but, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it would make a more accessible defense to the, to the accused. So I found this a uh, little bit from the National Bureau of Economic Research. In mm-hmm. 2012, they found that states that have a Florida-style standard ground law showed a 6.8, so that's almost a 7% increase in homicide rates. Now, this isn't a study that's directly... A, yeah, it's a correlation-causation problem. Right, I, and, and I know that the numbers are fluid in that sense, but uh, I, I'd say the concern is enabling people to have greater ease to justify use of violence, especially uh, fatal violence, um, in, in any degree, is likely to be a defense that people are going to want to adapt, given the opportunity to clear their name in these situations. Uh, I, I understand... The value of a standard ground law, uh, but I do think that we need to be certain that we have legal fail-safes in place to ensure that uh, the law is only applied when it is most appropriate. And if rates are going up, then I don't know that that's the case. Before we get Nick's take on this, let me let me just offer this uh, piece of opinion. The names that surround uh, legally that surround gun laws are fantastic. Mm-hmm. Stand, stand your stand ground. Your ground. Yeah. <laughs> uh, defend your castle was one for a while. Uh, with uh, that's similar to stand your ground, but about whether or not you're allowed to defend your home from mm-hmm. certain kinds of trespassers. Mm-hmm. We we talk a lot, of, uh, especially off air, about uh, how poor legislation is named, but gun gun bills are not yeah. one of them. Fantastic naming, mm-hmm. whoever is doing that. One of my new favorites is the. Uh, federal level the stuff about uh suppressors or silencers yeah yeah hearing protection act (laughs) (laughs) wow Uh, regarding endangered species the panther act (laughs) you can't you really can't make this stuff up i mean it's just the government is a fascinating place uh so nick um stand your ground what what uh should we expand it should we contract it is this good for the public health yes public safety so to, to some of the stuff that Jordan was saying, I mean, on the, on the legal and procedural side, I'm, I'm borderline illiterate. Uh, but I, I do agree with what you, uh, well, I don't know, I don't remember whether you said it or whether you posed it as a question, but, but I... I'm it, the questioner. Yes, but it, it does seem to me like the, uh, the, the burden should be on the prosecution, uh, whatever the consequences of that might be. But that seems like a cornerstone of, of just like, you know, our, not only our legal system, but our... our value system as a as a society pursuing justice is that you know this whole innocent until proven guilty thing um as far as whether it uh improves safety um uh maybe this is a cop-out but my answer is that it doesn't matter 
Um, I think the the purpose of the stand your ground law is not necessarily to make you more or less safe, but rather to acknowledge and uh, offer legal protection for your rights. Mm. So in a situation where person A is the aggressor, uh, person B should not suddenly have a legal obligation to flee. Uh, the, the consequences of that aggression uh, should be for person B to decide as the person who's defending him or herself. Um, obviously, when person A is dead, uh, it becomes more difficult to, to prove or disprove, you know, whatever it is that happened in that yeah. situation. He from, said, corpse said. Exactly, right. Yeah. So, um, but, but from uh, looking at it from, from the perspective of, or, you know, through the prism of, of, of rights, uh, you know, do you have a right to defend yourself when someone is coming at you? Which, and I think that that may be a more apt way to describe it, right? It's not so much that it preserves your right to self-defense as it is that it removes from you the obligation to physically flee. Um, okay. And in a situation... It alleviates responsibility for that outcome. Exactly. And, and, and there may also be situations where you decide that, you know, you're, you're safer defending yourself than fleeing, right? Like if, somebody, uh, if somebody's coming at you trying to kill you uh, and you have a solution that ends that confrontation inside of the next five seconds, do you do that? Mm-hmm. Or do you just run indefinitely? Like, I, I want you to not be trying to kill me now. I, do you think that there's any merit to arguments that standard ground laws demonstrate racial bias in any way? Uh, no, yeah, I think it's a relevant question. I, I don't think there is. I, I think that there's, um, there's a, a, a vast difference between uh, the law having bias built into it mm-hmm. and outcomes being different. Right. right? So, so in a society, for example, where... Um, where drug crime, for example, has a tendency to exist in certain places and not certain other places, and where the populations uh, and the demographics of those populations are, are correlated with certain other socioeconomic factors, I think it's a stretch to say that because, and assuming that this is the case, that because more, let's say, minorities or more men or more women or more whatever are affected by uh, outcomes in uh, in a place where uh, you know uh, legal outcomes in a place where there's stand your ground laws that that makes stand your ground laws inherently racist. Uh, I think is um, I think doesn't make the argument just doesn't hold water. Uh, um, there's there's a, a difference between disparate racial outcomes and systemic racism. Right. So unless there's racism built into the system, uh, which it doesn't appear to me that there is. Uh, <clears throat> well, a, a law is a law independent of race, ideally. Sure. Uh, but how that law is enacted, how juries decide regarding that law, uh, and, and everything that happens after the alleged crime has been committed, mm-hmm. you know, that all becomes something that, that's far more swayed by how the, how the public acts. Sure, right? but that, that may be more an issue, for example, of uh, the... And, and again, I'm borderline literate on, on the procedural aspects of it, but on where but the... Have, like, how high the, you know how how big the burden of proof is for right. example right so so I think that you can respect uh, you can have laws on the books that uh, that acknowledge certain rights while perhaps instituting other checks to address the human error or the human flaws in jury decisions right I was just about to say <clears throat> yeah, uh, jury selection is something but as far as just like the core issue of whether a person should have a legal right to you know literally speaking stand their ground mm-hmm. and defend themselves. The law is the law. The law, well, not only the law is the law, but uh, you know, uh, I, I think a person's right is a person's right, right? I mean, even if you did away with these laws, even if you did away with stand your ground law, my argument would be 
your right didn't disappear. The law just stopped protecting your right. But you have a human right to decide to defend your life. Uh, there are lots of places, right, where what we consider rights are not acknowledged by the law, but North Koreans have every right in the world to free speech. Their governments violate that right. Mm -hmm. So you have a right to defend your life. Whether you end up in prison is the fault of your government. Hmm. All right, that's an interesting place to uh, to finish off this. Gun. We can keep talking about this for another four hours, uh, but this episode is long enough as it is. Um, <laughs> just a, a quick uh, recap for the listener. Uh, if you want any sort of uh, <coughs> recap on the ideology, press rewind. Uh, but... <laughs> From uh, the perspective of what is likely to happen and affect your life. Now, uh, gun laws vary wildly across the country and would require another hour-long podcast just to explain them. But from Florida's perspective, it is likely that there will be some changes to concealed weapons uh, laws this legislative session. Uh, a note here is that the House uh, chamber tends to be significantly more... Uh, lenient for uh, gun control laws as they're known than the Senate does. The Senate tends to be much more moderate. And so uh, what we would probably expect is that some of the bills that lessen the guns, uh, the concealed carry laws would pass. I would, I would find it very difficult for open carry to pass uh, in Florida. I don't think the votes are there in the Senate. Um, I'm not sure that guns in airports are going to happen because I think too many uh, legislators are going to have the pressure put on them specifically because of the shooting in Fort Lauderdale. Uh, but I think it's entirely possible. And, and uh, I don't think guns will be allowed in government meetings because, let's be honest, politicians aren't going to let you take guns to talk to them. But I think it's entirely possible, if not probable, that they'll be legalized in places like career centers, that the concealed carry protections that Nick was talking about will probably pass uh, and be signed by the governor. And I would not be surprised. This will probably be the most contentious one. I wouldn't be surprised if the removal of the, the limits on, on public campuses, on college campuses, if that happens. And the reason why is because the argument the legislators are going to make that are, are in favor of easing that restriction is that a significant percentage of shootings happen in schools. And so at least let somebody fire back. Uh, now, whether or not you agree with that logic is up to you. Remember, the only bad opinion is an uneducated one. With that, we'll catch you next week, and thank you for listening. Uh, I, there, there were a, a couple of things, and I don't know whether you, whether it's valuable to just throw them out there. Actually, yeah, well, to, let's let's keep. To, I'm gonna eliminate that closing session. Because, and we sort of like got mixed up in all the, but the airport thing. I think it is important to note um, that airports, no matter what you do with concealed carry, will remain an area where people can have concealed weapons because all you need to do is show up with it in a hard container and mm -hmm. claim that you're on your way to a flight. Uh, so it is entirely legal to fly with your guns, and that's a federal issue, and there's nothing that the state of Florida can do to, to affect situations like the one that, to, that happened at that airport. On the contrary, if anything, airports are the easiest place to conceal <laughs> long rifles. Uh, so you can show up at an airport with whatever the hell you want. It doesn't even have to be a thing that you can conceal on your person, so long as you have it in a suitcase. You don't have, I mean, people show up at airports and buy boarding passes all the time, so you, you could conceivably show up with an arsenal in a suitcase and claim that you're traveling with it. Are there restrictions uh, like it, the the guns can't be loaded or they need to be locked? And the guns can can't. The guns can't. They be need loaded. to be checked. They can't. You can't uh, right. carry it on. So in the case of the Fort Lauderdale shooting, the guy picked it up at baggage claim. He had just landed, mm. picked it up at baggage claim, went into a bathroom, loaded it, and then walked out with it in his jacket. Okay. Uh, so you could conceivably do the same with with a rifle, for instance. You could take a rifle in your suitcase. You could uh, uh, walk into a bathroom, load it, and then walk right out of the mm -hmm. bathroom. Um, and then another thing, just sort of like an, a, sort of an aside, but.
but that I think may be of interest to people who are less familiar with this stuff is uh, the laws on what are uh, referred to as short-barreled rifles. Or, uh, and yeah. So if you have a pistol, one of the main reasons why uh, uh, rifles like AR platform rifles are more popular with women uh, is that they're easier to manipulate. So there is a very practical reason to own uh, a rifle like an AR for home defense uh, because you're making more points of contact. In the same way that like, if you're on a moving train and you're standing on one leg, you're more likely to fall over if somebody taps you or the train moves. So one way to address this if you're the owner of a pistol is to buy yourself a stock that just slides into the pistol grip, which I've looked at, at buying myself. I've decided not to because in order, and this is one of the silly things, in order to buy this crap plastic stock that basically just creates a bridge between your hand on the pistol and your shoulder, uh, making it easier to manipulate, more accurate and thereby safer because you're less likely to miss your target and hit your neighbor, uh, you need to apply for a federal license, pay a federal tax, and get your gun engraved. And that gun, even if you remove the stock, is still legally a rifle. So I now have a pistol that I can't leave my home with. So why wouldn't I keep my pistol and buy an AR, which I can do for roughly the cost of all this federal licensing? Um, so there are all these obstacles to uh, to gun ownership and to sort of some of the versatility that people look for in gun ownership that ends up legally necessitating what a non-gun owner might look at and see as like, here's this nutcase building an arsenal. Hmm. Well, no, like maybe I own two or three or four guns because I want to have a, a shotgun in my car because you won't let me pull out my gun and put it in, under the seat. Or maybe I own a rifle because you made it more expensive than it's practical to own a pistol that functions like a rifle. So there's all these considerations that I think, uh, you know, government, even even if we agree on what the op the objectives ought to be, government seems to be creating all these obstacles to, like, normal, mm. rational, and even, like, affordable behavior in gun ownership. All righty. So, uh, like I said, we could go on with guns forever. Yeah. Uh, and this is a very fluid issue. Um, the courts rule in all the time as well. So keep it tuned, uh, and we will catch you next time.